The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So, good evening and welcome to the Buddhist Society of Victoria, to the Buddha Loka Buddhist Centre here in uh, East Melbourne, in Melbourne, in Victoria, for those that are listening overseas. I wonder where this is coming from. And uh, my name, of course, is Ajahn Nisarano, and for those that are listening online, um, I am the senior monk at the Buddhist Society of Victoria's monastery, called Newbury Buddhist Monastery, about 90 kilometres, I think, from Melbourne. And uh, I've been a Buddhist monk for 24 years, and 14 of, almost 14 of those years, I lived in Sri Lanka, and uh, eight of those years I lived in a cave, which was very nice. I should mention I ordained with Ajahn Brahm, and so that's been a great blessing, and it influences my teaching quite a lot. <laughs> so I just thought uh, for this evening I'd start, um, it would be a similar theme to what I spoke about yesterday, actually. I don't know if many of you came yesterday, or listened yesterday, watched yesterday, but uh, I'll start, because uh, what we, I think most people are experiencing, what are most people experiencing now? Christmas. <laughs> Christmas coming. It's coming again. And, uh, of course, Christmas means a lot of different things to different people. And uh, one of the big things is, of course, retail therapy. <laughs> and we see the, a lot of shopping going on and a lot of jockeying for car parks and for many people it's a holiday time but in a very uh, in a more um, uh, 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 deeper sense it's a, a time for families to get together which is great that is really good and for others it's just they like the lights and decorations and all that sort of thing and uh, but of course it's about the, the the spiritual message of Christmas is deeper than that isn't it I don't, many people don't focus on the, <laughs> the spiritual message so much, but I think it, it is part of the Christmas, of, of Christmas. And that is, of course, you know, p peace and uh, goodwill to everyone. That's the usual phrase we use for Christmas. And of course, what is that in Buddhist terms? What's that? You know, and of course, peace is peace, of course, and that's really important. Peace is harmony between us, you know. And uh, But, of course, goodwill, immediately a Buddhist sees goodwill, I think, metta, <laughs> loving kindness or kindness, as I've been calling it. And, of course, you know, all that giving, all that buying, hopefully, and giving and receiving presents uh, is should it, it can be a way of developing this kindness of developing metta because when we give, it actually connects us with other people in a positive sense. So it's a, it's a and an actual fact. In many cases, we have this saying, don't we? That it's the thought that counts, and in actual fact, it's the feeling that counts really. And if it's given with kindness and a real sincerity then it can be quite powerful. And powerful for ourselves and powerful for other people. So really the way we give is the important thing. If we give in a very uh, prefunctory way, you know, just a casual way, um, it, it doesn't impact on us much and on other people so much. 
And I call this a kindness. I was calling it yesterday. The shortcut. And the shortcut to, uh, to deeper meditation, to practicing the Buddha's path. Everybody is looking for shortcuts in life. <laughs> and this is a very good one because basically, if we really have kindness, if we really have this metta in our hearts, in our, this feeling in our hearts and minds, then this is developing good qualities and maintaining them. And at the same time, avoiding and letting go of negative qualities. So it's really a very key emotion a very positive quality that we can develop for ourselves. And uh, when we do have that, we can practice the path much, much easier. We can practice meditation much, much easier because we can overcome these negative qualities in our minds. And one of the things I notice too, it's very hard, you know, hard to keep in mind uh, the the whole of the Buddha's teachings, that's impossible for most of us. But to keep something simple that is quite powerful and, and can take us deeper and deeper, like kindness, is, is easier for us to remember. Of course, at times when we get excited, when we get angry, when we get frightened, all these things, we may forget it. But if we can have that one thought in mind, uh, kindness, and to... to Practice it to whatever ability we can, you know, to whatever uh, uh, ability we can. Because when we have this kindness in, in the mind, how does it feel for, for you? How does it feel for me? Great. Kindness is a very pleasant uh, emotion to have. And, of course, we all, I think we can all recall people who have been really kind to us, whether it's grandfather or an uncle, an auntie, uh, someone, uh, a teacher, they're often, they can be very kind. And sometimes the, the, the thing that touches us the most can be strangers can be so kind, you know, just out of the blue. And you can see them do kind things like, you know, when somebody drops something and they can pick it up and give it to them. And if it's money, I saw, I saw once this, uh, this video, it was actually about testing people's... Um, ethics really and this man he what he did he'd set, set uh, people up and have somebody videoing this too and he'd drop a large note on the ground uh, money he'd drop money on the ground a note and uh, then walk off what just in front of somebody and just sit and, ref and video their reaction sure enough some people did pick it up put it in the pocket and walk across the street. But other people, they actually rushed after him and gave him the money back. So it's really, you know, when you see that sort of thing, it's quite uh, heartwarming and it gives us sort of more uh, confidence or more, we feel more positive about uh, people's um, kindness. And so this kindness is actually quite an important thing. And I, one of the things that I liked from Ajahn Pramali's retreat the big, at, in April this year was uh, if you only remember one thing remember kindness <laughs> it's a key emotion it's a key emotion So, and so sometimes I actually I use kindness instead of um, loving kindness because I know people they say to me you know well um, 
loving kindness I can't do, I can't do, you know, especially men, they find this term uh, off-putting. But if you say to somebody, well, can you be kind? And they say, well, yes, yes, it's a familiar emotion, actually, quite a familiar emotion. But loving kindness is something that sounds a bit exotic. <laughs> so, so this is... I prefer kindness or friendliness because friendliness is actually very literal for for metta because metta, that word in Pali, comes from the word uh, related to the word mitta, which is a friend. So, And friends are kind. And as I mentioned, it's really a feeling. You know, it's not words, it's not a concept, it's a feeling uh, that we can arouse. And if we... If we're successful in uh, developing metta, in developing kindness, we will feel this feeling. And that is very the important thing, actually. And, of course, it's a feeling of, as I said, friendship, kindness, well-wishing, warmth. And also, when we are kind to somebody, they feel safe with us and uh, they feel relaxed. So it's a, it's a... and. As I say, you know, this kindness is very natural for all beings. Um, everyone has it, whether they're Buddhists or not. <laughs> but it's really the Buddha who turned it into a, a means to develop this incredible, all-encompassing kindness, unbounded, as the Buddha calls it, and using it as a, a path, a, a, one of the pathways to liberation, to enlightenment so it's it's actually really really powerful so many people of course often think you've either got it or you haven't got it you're either a kind person or you're not <laughs> but of course this is not the case we can develop it um, uh, by through meditation through our actions and speech so this is um, the focus of of kindness of metta and it's looking at the good qualities in ourselves and others. The, uh, this is something that's really looking at what's right with ourselves and others, not looking at the faults. The faults, the blaming, these are what I call kindness killers. <laughs> when we start blaming and uh, finding fault, criticizing, this really is uh, a way of destroying the kindness. So it's um, a very valuable emotion. And the point of it, and this is one of my teachers, Ayakima, she used to really emphasize it, is that it overcomes so many of our negative emotions. And at a time like this, with COVID, we need as much help as we can get <laughs> to overcome negative emotions, whatever they be. Sometimes it's... Uh, it's things like anger, uh, sometimes, because there are people that are very angry, angry and outraged, uh, are protesting about the um, restrictions, protesting about the vaccinations, and so on. So there is a lot of that, but there's also a lot of fear, anxiety, worry that's connected with uh, COVID nineteen. And uh, so this, all these uh, negative emotions can be overcome by developing this feeling of kindness. And it's what the, the Buddha really recommends it for anger, but it's also very good for fear as well. Because if you have kindness in the mind, there's not much room for fear. 
because it's got that, you don't have these two, two emotions at the same time. Kindness is open and uh, it feels safe and uh, so it's a, a warm emotion. So it's uh, the important thing for us this evening and uh, really yesterday, even though I talked about it, I talked also about how to develop it and that's more important for us. And basically how we develop uh, metta or kindness is really whatever works for us, for each of us. It can be different things. We should be creative with it. I know in Sri Lanka many people use sentences, many people do other places too, and they'll say, may you be happy and well and those things. And if that works for us, great. But uh, often I see, I see it with myself actually, that if I use phrases after a while, they wear out. <laughs> they don't bring up the feeling. I liken it to chewing gum. <laughs> you know, you chew it after a while, no flavour, no flavour left. People don't chew, do they chew gum still these days? Americans do, I think. But in Australia, we used to as well. So how we develop a meta is going to uh, uh, differ from it for each of us. But one of the important things is the Buddha mentions there are three aspects of developing metta. It's not just on the cushion. That's very, very important. But it's in our actions and our speech. And this can be very powerful, actually. And it can actually bring up that feeling for us um, very strongly. If we deliberately do things that are kind for another person, we, we go out of our way to help them. And I think this is a very good thing to do every day. If we can do something, an action, or we can say something that's very kind. And genuine, it's got to be genuine, let's face it. <laughs> Everybody will see through somebody who's, who's just saying the words. And sometimes uh, they, they have this, they differentiate between kindness and being nice. But I always say, uh, that a kind person is always nice, but a nice person may not always be kind. <laughs> but if you're genuinely kind, it's nice. Um, but sometimes people are nice, but they're not that kind really underneath. It's not coming from a kind place. But people can tell generally where a person's coming from. And if it's going to touch somebody else, it has to be genuine. It has to be authentic uh, to touch them. And, of course, daily life, our interactions with people, wherever we are, particularly in the family, isn't it? Because this is where we need more kindness and more care than any other place, actually. Because I know from my own experience, and I hear it quite often, sometimes people in families, in relationships, can be more unkind to the people they're close to than strangers. <laughs> and that shouldn't be the way, should it? So we, to, de to develop this kindness in our family, in our relationships, our close relationships, this is very important. And because we live so close to each other, we rub up against each other, we take each other for granted, and uh, we can uh, be unkind. And these negative emotions can come up. And this is where we're making most of our karma in daily life. When we come to the Buddhist society, most people are well-behaved <laughs> and not making much negative karma by meditating, sitting there, unless they're developing really angry thoughts or you know, unkind thoughts. So 
this, uh, this uh, kindness, we're developing it through our actions, our speech, and our mind. Our mind is very important because this is where everything's coming from. This is where our experience of life is coming from, isn't it? You know, whether we're experiencing uh, a very positive um, uh, ex uh, uh, experiencing life in a very positive way or not, if we're experiencing it with a lot of anger or a lot of um, frustration, irritation, this is all coming from our minds, whether it be positive or negative. And also it's very, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, that the more we repeat any of these emotions, be they positive or negative, we'll get good at it. We'll get very good at it. And recently I saw, <laughs> I saw a video on the uh, uh, YouTube of a little boy talking like this, you know, whatever we we practice, whatever we develop, we get good at. It was really funny because he's only about six or seven. I think he must have been reading a script, but it's, it's exactly what I say too, that we get good at the things we repeat. So let's repeat good things. Let's, let's dwell on good things. So. so the words can be useful. And, you know, these, the uh, key words for for kindness, of course, can be things like kindness, friendliness, friendliness, love, safety, openness, uh, connection, security, acceptance is a very big one, isn't it? Because when we have kindness for somebody, we accept them at that time as they are. We accept ourselves as we are. That's sometimes a harder one, <laughs> harder one to accept ourselves. And uh, also the other aspect we can... Uh, use for developing uh, kindness is use images, visualizations. And I'll do that tonight in the guided meditation fairly soon, actually. And uh, I know uh, Ayakima, I mentioned her, my, one of my teachers, a German Buddhist nun who passed away um, some, a long, long time ago now, really, 90, uh, yes, quite a long time ago. She used to use um, visualizations like uh, golden rays of, of, of uh, kindness or loving kindness, sending, filling us and sending to other people, uh, have uh, visualizations of the moon in our heart or the sun in our heart, banishing darkness and filling us with this uh, loving kindness or uh, kindness. So just this is uh, visualizations can be quite powerful for us and work. So you can use words, you can use images. Or you could use concepts. And I like uh, some concepts like being a best friend is a concept. But it brings up a feeling when we think about the qualities of a best friend. brings up the feeling and then we can use that feeling for ourselves and then to radiate it to others. And we can also have the classic one, a mother's love for her only child, which the Buddha used as an example of metta or loving kindness or kindness. So this is, and when we have that, uh, use that as a, uh, a concept, it's like we are our own child, but then everyone else is like our children. And if we have that approach, because you see with mothers, with fathers, they can be so forgiving to their children. So if we regard ourselves as like our own child, we regard everyone like a, our own child we can forgive and accept them as they are, have a positive uh, uh, feeling for them. But I was going to 
yes, time getting on, <laughs> going to mention the story that's going to connect with the guided meditation I will do, which uh, is the story about Nalagiri. Do people know that story, Nalagiri? I think very most Sri Lankan people know it. It's a, it's a very famous story. Do others know it? Yeah. But Nalagiri's an elephant. It's an elephant, yeah. Oh, I'll tell the story. The Buddha's cousin, Devadatta, he was trying to take over the Sangha, and in order, and then the Buddha, quite interestingly, the Buddha didn't agree to it. <laughs> so he, he started uh, hatching plots to assassinate the Buddha, to kill the Buddha. And of course, one of the things that the, the Buddha said you can't do to a Buddha is actually kill them, actually. So, uh, but he tried, and he tried lots of different techniques. But this, on one occasion, he just he had this idea, this plot, that he would get the one of the royal elephants, a well-known uh, person killer, somebody that uh, an elephant that had killed people, and uh, that he would get the stable owners to this the stable the elephant keepers they call them really, to get that elephant angry. They were going to give him alcohol, beat him, all that sort of thing. Then open the, the idea was open the stable doors and let the elephant stamp, uh, stampede out and then crush the Buddha as he was coming on arms around when he'd come into the, the town for his food every day. And that was the, that was the uh, plan. And so, of course, they opened the stable doors and the elephant rushed out and was really angry and upset, as you would be if you were drunk and you'd been beaten and all these sorts of things, and headed straight for the Buddha, and people were shouting to the Buddha, please get out of the way, get out of the way, it'll crush you. And the Venerable, it's very dramatic, isn't it? And Venerable Ananda, his chief, uh, his like a personal assistant, you say, um, he, was, he stood in front of him uh, to... Uh, you know, bear the brunt of the elephant's charge. But the Buddha said, no, no, Ananda, stand aside. And the, the elephant continued to straight towards the Buddha. And then the Buddha spread his kindness, his metta to that elephant. And the elephant slowed down, slowed down, and came to a stop in front of the Buddha. And then, well, they say, then the Buddha could actually pat him, which is pretty amazing. Uh, and uh, then the elephant even bowed. I think that sounds a bit extraordinary, but he patted him. And it was that incredible strength of kindness. But what that kindness does too, of course, it's, uh, it has not only does it have uh, the, that positive quality for the elephant, but it also means one is fearless. Because this is often something animals pick up if you're frightened. And then they, that can lead to you know them uh, harming or killing a person. So that's the story of uh, Nalagiri. But Ajahn Brahm, of course, he developed it into the Nalagiri strategy. So, and that is that sometimes our minds are like Nalagiri. They're really wild. <laughs> They're really upset. And they're really on a rampage, and they'll stampede and, and try and crush anything in their ways. You know, that's uh, it, and often us, actually, our feelings, our happiness. So when our mind is out of control, then to give this kindness, this metta to our minds, to soothe it, to calm it down, so that it can settle down and that state can pass. 
Nanjan Brahm gives a very nice story, similar idea actually, that when he was at in the monastery for foreigners in northeast Thailand called Wat Pa Nanachat, a man was herding his buffaloes and he had them on ropes and and then they got frightened and they rushed off and he held on to the ropes with these uh, buffaloes, water buffaloes, really heading off, uh, you know, as fast as they could out of fear. And as a result, he lost two fingers because he couldn't let go of the rope. It might have got caught. He came into the monastery with his, uh, with his hand badly damaged, you know, injured. And this, this is, this, this, the moral of that story is let go of the rope. <laughs> let go of the rope, you know. And we, that's what we have to do when our minds are out of control. Not try and control them and pull them back. We'll end up losing two fingers or two friends, <laughs> whatever it is. So just to calm ourselves down, calm that mind down. So this is what we can do with kindness, with loving kindness, with metta. And I'd like to finish with just mentioning a quote. I like this quote very much, often used from uh, Gaur Gopal Das. He's an Indian um, teacher. If we want to be loved, we may not be. But if we want to give love, who can stop us? And that's the whole point, really. Even if people don't appreciate it, no matter. We feel good. (laughs) we've done our part, we're not negative, we've got positive, we've got kindness, we've got this love. So this is what everybody is looking for in their lives, love. But if they develop, we develop it within ourselves, we have it already. And we can give it to others. If If they like it, good. If they don't, that's okay too. We still have it. So now we can do the guided meditation for about 45 minutes. And I will be using the... Nalagiri, the elephant, uh, as the the, uh, the guide, part of the guided meditation. So, if you would like to find a comfortable position that we can hold, it'd be about forty-five minutes around there, and uh, we can come into the present moment, just letting go of whatever has happened in the past and whatever may happen in the future, just to actually come here, be here. And we can close our eyes and get in contact with how the body feels now and make any adjustments we need to. like balancing the head over the shoulders and the shoulders over the hips, making sure the body feels comfortable, the legs feel comfortable, and our hands can be on our laps or on on our knees as we find uh, best, most comfortable.
And we can take a few deep breaths just to make sure we're in the present moment. It's a great way to become present. And now we can relax the body mentally from the top of the head to the tips of the toes. Starting with the top of the head, back of the head, sides of the head. Relaxing it, soothing it, like we're giving it a mental massage. And we can move the attention down to the forehead and relax and soothe the forehead. Allow the wrinkles to dissolve, the frowning, whatever. Relaxing and soothing it. Moving down to the eyes, all around the eyes, giving this kind, warm attention. And moving down to the cheeks, and around the mouth and the chin, and relaxing them, giving them this mental massage. And now bringing to mind the neck and moving our attention all around the neck to soothe it, relax it, make it comfortable. Giving warm attention to any uh, tense areas, any painful areas in the neck. Now bringing to mind the right shoulder and moving our attention along the right shoulder, starting at the neck and soothing the right shoulder, relaxing it, letting go of any strain, burden, aches, pains, allowing them to relax, soothing them.
Now bringing to mind the right arm, starting at the top of the right arm, and we can include the elbow, wrist, hand and fingers, moving our attention slowly down the right arm with warmth, kindness, caring. Now we can bring to mind the left shoulder and starting at the neck, move our attention along the neck, the left shoulder, relaxing it, giving it warm, kind attention. bringing to mind the left arm starting at the top of the left arm and we can move our attention slowly down and to include the elbow the wrist hand and fingers giving them a good mental massage Now bringing to mind the back, starting just below the shoulders and moving our attention slowly down the back, giving it this warm, relaxing attention. Now bringing to mind the front of the body, starting below the shoulders and moving our attention down the front of the body to include the chest, diaphragm, stomach and also the abdomen area. With this warm, relaxing, kind attention.
Now we can bring to mind the right leg, starting at the top of the right leg and moving our attention down the right leg to include the knee, ankle, foot and toes, giving them this warm attention, caring for the right leg kindly. And now bringing to mind the left leg, starting at the top of the left leg and moving our attention down the left leg to include the knee, ankle, foot and toes, soothing them, relaxing them with this kind, warm attention. And now we can bring to mind the whole body just sitting here in the present moment. And we can keep in mind the intention to develop, to bring up feeling of kindness or friendliness 
within ourselves. And we can use a visualization to do this. To imagine the Buddha's kuti in the town where Nalagiri the elephant lived. They had a hut or a kuti on the mountain above the town, a stone kuti hut with beautiful views over the valley, panoramic. And we can imagine coming towards this hut, climbing the mountain, coming to the hut, and seeing the Buddha meditating outside this hut. Sitting very peacefully, radiantly, kindly. And we can come up and bow to the Buddha three times, as is the custom, and sit in meditation near the Buddha, outside his hut, stone hut on this mountain. And we can imagine these golden rays of the Buddha's kindness, metta, friendliness. Spreading out, reaching us, filling us from head to toe with the Buddha's kindness, that sense of acceptance, Caring, friendliness, openness, safety. These golden rays of kindness. And we can get in touch with this feeling of kindness, of the Buddha's kindness, filling us with complete acceptance, with warmth, real ease in our minds and bodies.
And we can become aware of our breath coming in and going out. And we can breathe in this kindness, these golden rays of kindness. And we can breathe them out to the world. So breathing in this warmth, kindness, acceptance, friendliness, and breathing it out to all beings, well-wishing, wishing for their happiness. Just breathing in kindness and breathing it out. Golden rays of the Buddha's kindness or metta filling us, breathing in and breathing it out. And if the mind wanders off, just to remember the Buddha in front of his kuti, meditating, sending rays of his kindness to all of us.
And now we can come back to ourselves and share this feeling of kindness with all those that we are close to, our family, friends, giving them this gift of the kindness, the golden rays of the Buddha's kindness to them. Touching them with this kindness. And then bringing to mind everyone here in this hall, but wherever we are, those that are listening, to those that are around us, maybe it's family, other people, our pets, and sending them, radiating this golden rays of kindness for their happiness and well-being. Wishing them well. Now expanding that feeling to include all those beings in the area we, we are in at the present moment, wherever that is. Whether they be human beings, animals, insects, unseen beings, whatever beings, radiating his golden rays of kindness to them for their well-being. And then expanding that feeling of friendliness, of kindness, these golden rays, further and further afield to cover the whole of this earth and all realms of existence, wherever they are. All the beings that are in these realms of existence, all the animals on the earth, all the people.
and coming back to ourselves again, we can bring to mind an aspiration, an intention. May I develop this feeling of kindness from the Buddha to myself and to all that I meet, all the other people I meet, all the beings I meet. And may my actions and speech come from this kindness. And we can anchor this feeling, these golden rays of kindness in our hearts. We can remember them, use the power of remembering this feeling to bring it up any time we wish. We can just reflect for a few moments on how do I feel now. Did this feeling of kindness uh, arise in me? Did it? Did I connect with this kindness? Did I feel? more kind, more friendly, more safe and relaxed. And lastly, what caused this kindness to come up, this feeling of kindness to come up? What did I learn? from this. And now I'll ring the bell three times and on the third time, if you'd like to, you can come out of meditation or, if you wish, continue. So if you wish to, you can open your eyes and move your bodies, make them more comfortable. And now, if there are any comments, questions, or complaints, uh, please, uh, you're welcome to to uh, speak them here at the microphone.
I once did have a complaint when I did a metta meditation. Some person was very irritated and annoyed. <laughs> I said, wow, it didn't work for you. <laughs> because uh, I think they were, as I, I remember the person, they used to a silent meditation because every Thursday night at that stage we're having silent meditation. They usually came to that. So for them, guided meditation was an irritation. But of course, if we let things irritate us and annoy us, we have these really unpleasant mind states. It's an unpleasant feeling for us. So it's in our interest to learn how to turn away from that and to, uh, to calm those, that irritation, that annoyance uh, with kindness. Kindness to ourselves. We don't have to be kind to the other people, but if we have kindness to ourselves, then it will eventually, that will be the state that we also generate towards other people. It's almost impossible, I think, to be kind to somebody that's really upset us at that moment, to be kind to them. But it's always possible for us to be kind to ourselves. We're the ones that need it. If we're upset, if we're angry, if we're are afraid, if we're depressed, if we're anxious, we need it. Whether the other person needs it, no matter. <laughs> Once we have it established in ourselves, then we can uh, be kind, kinder to people that are making our lives difficult. So uh, if there are any comments or questions, you're welcome to ask them. Yeah, please do. Yes, you can. You can use the microphone if you wish. Yeah. Um, hi, uh, I had a question um, mm. during the meditation. Mm. Um, you know, generally over an extended period of time, um, maybe others felt the same. So, like I, you know, get a bit of discomfort um, just sitting down for long periods. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are some good ways? Like, I guess, how could you, uh, rather than react to it, like be aware of uh, mm. the discomfort and? I guess, can that also be, how, how would you apply the same way into daily life rather, you know, as opposed to reacting mm. to situations and emotions, like being aware of them? Yeah, no, that's a very good question, you know, because when we, as you say, when we sit in meditation uh, or, you know, standing meditation, even stronger actually, there can be discomfort in the body, there can be pain, you know, in the knees and in the back and so on. So, of course, you know, we have to, uh, when we use this kindness towards them, but a very good, uh, and I found it very, very useful, whether it's an emotional pain, sometimes people, you know, anxiety, fear, you can feel it in the, the stomach or the abdomen area, and other emotions you can feel in different places. And at those times, I use the breath with kindness to, and generate it in my mind towards that area. And that can be very, very helpful, especially with mental states like anxiety, fear, or whatever it is. Um, if we can locate it in the body and then breathe this kindness in it, not to get rid of it, because metta is, or kindness, is not about getting, saying, get out of here, I don't want this anxiety, I don't want this fear, I don't want this pain in my knee. That's not kind at all, and that's actually ramping up our tension, isn't it? <laughs> Mentally or physically too. So it's just breathing through it with this sort of acceptance, with this kindness. 
So I find that very, very effective. Um, but however, especially in meditation, if we find that a pain is continuing, a physical pain, then of course, you know, we, we wait a little bit. We don't immediately respond. We try, you know, for instance, using kindness, kind attention, giving it this sort of gentleness. As I say, mental massage. But I know Ayakima, she said, breathe through that pain, whether it be physical or mental. And if that doesn't work after a time, then just to change posture to something more comfortable. Because if we don't, then we're, A, we're torturing the body, but we're also, the mind will become focused on the pain. And as uh, the, the name for the breath meditation is Anapanasati, that's uh, mindfulness of the breathing in and out. But Ajahn Brahm says, if the pain is strong, then it will become Anapanasati. We'll just be aware of pain. And what's the normal reaction to pain? Don't want it. Get out of here. And this is uh, not useful for the meditation because we're actually developing more aversion in the mind. We're making the meditation unpleasant. So we think, wow, I don't know, meditation may be good, but it's, it's uh, not pleasant to do, you know, and then we won't do uh, much of it. But to use this kindness towards it is very, very useful for ourselves. And in daily life, too, when we feel really upset, just to calm ourselves down with this kindness, you know, like a, a parent, like a mother or a father, um, just to, to breathe it in and breathe it out. It can be very, very useful, quite powerful, actually. I find it really, really useful. Um, and that way we can reduce... Because a lot of the pain we experience physically, too, is um, uh, you notice... Uh, when we can accept the pain, that's not easy. <laughs> when you do, the pain actually reduces quite often. So the mental component of pain, you know, like fear, tension in the mind, is quite a lot. And uh, so this loving kindness relaxes it, and then the pain can go down. But as I say, if it doesn't go down, if it doesn't reduce, it's okay to change posture um, and not to torture the body. Um, yeah, you know, for long periods of time. Because as I say, counterproductive, because you will think, no, it's too painful meditation. <laughs> we only do the things we enjoy, actually. And we get good at the things we enjoy, but uh, um, if we don't enjoy it, won't do it. Yeah. So thank you for that question. It's a very relevant question, because uh, it's, it's uh, something that we all experience, actually. Yeah. So, any more questions from the floor, they say? That's really good. I always say, if there are no questions, I think, wow, meditation's been a great success. <laughs> because our minds have got peaceful for a time, and that's always a useful thing. But I know there will be some online questions. Thank you, Ajahn. Thank yeah, you, there's Ignatius. a couple of online questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the first one says, question from Sweden. This is not related to meditation, except my own thoughts during meditation. Um, what is the Buddhist view on trans and non-binary people? Could one still oh. ordain in the future if they want? Trans or non-binary. Yeah, wow, that's, yes. 
Yeah, it's it's there's no uh, obstacle to practicing the Dhamma, that's for sure. But about whether they can ordain in the sanghas, you know, like a, 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 the trans person in with the uh, the bhikkhuni sangha, the female sangha, or or, or it can be the other way with the uh, bhikkhu sangha. That would really depend on each of the sanghas, actually. I think um, whether they would would permit that or not. Um, quite interestingly, at the time of the Buddha, there were people, <laughs> the stories anyway in the commentaries, of people who changed sex <laughs> spontaneously. It was quite extraordinary. And there's a really amazing story of uh, a monk. He was, a, he was, as a layman, he was living in that same city where the elephant was. This is, it was Venerable Sorato. And uh, he saw um, this monk coming into the city from probably from the bamboo grove, which was one of the main monasteries the Buddha had there. And he was very golden, radiant, and very attractive. And this feeling of lust arose in his mind, according to this story. And then, after that, that that later that after soon after that, changed into a woman. And and then. And he was so embarrassed, had a family already. <laughs> he was so embarrassed about the change uh, that he went to another city. He went to Taxila, which was a, another very famous city in India at the time, and got married and had children. And then um, he was, this uh, person was talking to a friend and uh, related what had happened, um, a friend in Taxila, and the friend said, oh, that monk that you talked about, he's actually in the city. Please go and ask for forgiveness from that monk. Because that monk was supposed to be an arahant, or a very attained monk, very enlightened monk. And so she went to ask forgiveness and then changed back into a man in this story. Quite amazing, isn't it? It's a real, real interesting story. And then decided to go back to the town that uh, uh, he was from then, went back to Rajagaha, which, where this elephant story I told you about happened, and um, ordained, ordained as a Buddhist monk. And, uh, and he was uh, practicing as a Buddhist monk, and then all the monks and many lay people would say to him, who was more dear to you, your children as a father or your children as a mother? And they'd ask him this. And he'd get very embarrassed about it, because it wasn't just one person. Many people would ask, because they knew the story. And uh, so he got, he got so embarrassed by that, he withdrew uh, from being around people a lot, went into isolation, like COVID-19, <laughs> and was practicing meditation very deeply, and developed deep insight, developed the path, became an arahant. So that was one story of, you could say, a trans person, that, two ways. It was quite amazing, a double switch. So it's an incredible story. And it, I mean, it sounds very odd to us, but I did read I mean, an article some years ago, I think it was in Papua New Guinea, that some of these children at puberty, they would change from one sex to another sex which is amazing, you know. And it's pretty obvious, you know, that sexuality as we think of it is not quite as black and white as people think. There's so many different grades of it. 
and so forth. So it, I think it would depend on the individual sanghas, the bhikkhus, the monks, or the, the nuns, whether they um, would allow a person who's been uh, a trans person or a non-binary person to ordain. You know, It really depends on whether it would be for their spiritual development, how they fit into a community, is, is uh, one of the main concerns. Oh, yes. That's an interesting question, isn't it? <laughs> uh, thank you, Ajahn. Uh, we do have one final question. Mm. Um, from morning to night, my mind is filled with thoughts of what I have to do. Yeah. Um, my to-do list. Yeah. And I bring that with me when I meditate. It takes a long time before calming. Please advise, Ajahn. Well, yes. And that's a perfect example for all of us because we all have to-do lists, don't we? Do we have to-do lists? And um, whatever we do a lot, whatever we focus on a lot, that will become the uh, something that comes up very easily. It's very natural. Then, if we sit in meditation and we get a to-do list coming up all, uh, a lot of the time, that's to be expected. But if we react negatively to it, get out of here, to-do list then that's only going to uh, intense, create a negative, a negative quality in the mind. It's aversion, really, uh, which will you know, um, mean that the meditation doesn't really develop and we're having this battle all the time. So just to be like Nalagiri, um, just to give this kindness to this to-do list and to learn, right, whatever I focus on a lot, you know, this is going to come up. The other question that I would come up with, and we can, I think everybody here probably has to-do lists where they write them down, put them on the computer or whatever. It's very common because we, we just want to remind ourselves. But often too, underlying a to-do list, what's the feeling, the emotion behind it? It can be an anxiety or a fear. We've got to do these things. So to, to recognise where it's coming from too um, and uh, to... In meditation, if you, if you meditate long enough, it will drop the to-do list. And particularly if, you, um, if we don't have a negative state of mind towards it and we treat it like Nalagiri, have kindness towards this mind state. It also makes us very aware this mind that we think is ours is actually running on a sort of automatic program uh, by itself, and we cannot, you know, just stop it like that. Um, so, if we have this kindness, it will reduce, and uh, this more pleasant uh, feeling, this of kindness, this more pleasant experience will take over. So, and that will become the focus. So, this is quite handy, and you know, sometimes. If we don't use the idea of kindness, we can use the idea of making peace. I think that's a very useful. I find that very calming, actually, just to make peace with it, not to get in a battle with it, because we're so used to getting in a battle with things in, in our minds and trying to get rid of them and so on. But making peace with them is also a kind, a kind action. So that can be very useful to do. And at the same time, develop insight. Oh, wow, this is what my mind's doing all the time. Why is it doing it? Because I give a lot of attention to it. This is what I've repeated again and again. This is, that's why it comes up by itself. 
And this is why people, when they first come to meditate, they say, oh, I often say, oh, I can't meditate. All I do is think. And I say, wonderful, you've had the first insight because that's exactly what we're doing all day, all night. But when you sit down to meditate and you think, I don't want to think, it doesn't happen. So it gives us a teaching that this is actually what we're doing. And it also gives us a teaching in what the Buddha talked about in the one of his uh, teachings on non-self, that we can't just say, I don't want to think that, I want to think this. We can't control it. And so we realize that it's when we give attention, this is going to strengthen it. Give less attention to it, then um, it will get weaker and fade. And also, if we have a lot of loving kindness, that fear that may be underneath the to-do list, <laughs> you know, wow, I've got to remember this otherwise, um, may be replaced by this feeling of kindness, which gives a sense of fearlessness. You know, it, it doesn't. It's not anxious, not worried. It's relaxed. And in actual fact, when we relaxed, we can remember most things will come up. Mindfulness is much, much better when we're relaxed. If we're stressed, if we've got a, a very strong emotion running, um, mindfulness is weak because we can't remember things. We're so uh, preoccupied, so focused on that emotion. So this is... the. Once, uh, some ways we can deal with the to-do list. You can also make fun of it too. It's quite useful too. <laughs> if you make fun of it, it becomes ridiculous. <laughs> That's another way you can just get rid of it. You might enjoy that so much, making fun of it, that the whole meditation <laughs> goes. But when you, you know, just take it to the ridiculous limits, you think, yeah, oh, come on. <laughs> and then the mind will let go of it. So, but to always kindness. Humor can be good, actually. Humor can be good for us to enable us to let go. It's why Ajahn Brahm tells so many jokes, <laughs> so many stories that they help us let go. We relax when we uh, when we find something humorous or ridiculous. <laughs> so that, there are some ways that can help. So thank you very much for that question, and that's some that's a something that applies to nearly all of us, I think, very much, the to-do list in the mind. But it's really nice. When you see uh, mindfulness, it's, it, when mindfulness um, in the sense of remembering is almost automatic, it's, it's amazing. I've seen at times, I haven't been thinking about or remembering about having to do something, and suddenly it comes up in the mind, and it's just the right time. And I, I see that with Ajahn Brahm. It's just amazing. You know, it just like it's, 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 uh, comes up exactly when he needs it. And it's not like he's, you know, uh, having to do the to-do list, going through the list. It just comes up. That, that, because he's relaxed in the moment and has, has when he uh, thought of the things he needed to do, it's very clear and then that comes up. There are some of the ways we can do it by developing mindfulness and relying less on our to-do list. <laughs> so thank you very much and thank you for everyone coming this evening. It's a, it's a big turnout for, for a, a Monday night. So the, for those who would like to, we can pay respects to the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha and to finish off. <laughs>